Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery, and I'm excited to have Shrinath Sridhar, who's a co-founder and CEO at Reggie. Uh, Reggie was founded in 2020, and Reggie's advanced software blends the art of language and the science of delivery to create, test, and analyze personalized prospecting sales campaigns so you don't have to. Shinath has done his bachelor's from University of Texas and MSD for Carnegie Mellon. A big thanks to Leslie Venice for the introduction. Welcome to the show, Shinath. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So, um, so you have a, have a very interesting journey. You know, I, I had Leslie uh, on, on the show a couple of a uh, couple of weeks back, and she did mention about about Reggie uh, and you know what, what a cool uh, company that you've built. Um, I, uh, and you have a have an interesting journey because you you're an immigrant, you're from India. How did the entire journey start? How, how did you decide to get into this crazy world of startups? And obviously, you're very early into Facebook and Google. So I'm really excited to understand more about your journey. Yeah, of course. Um... So my life, um, so I grew up in India until I um, came to the U.S. for my undergrad. Right. Um, and that was an interesting journey in itself because um, I thought I was old at the time <laughs> and, then, uh, I, and I thought I knew what I was doing. But these days when I actually see 16, 17-year-olds going to college as a freshman, uh, I look back and think, oh, my God, like these kids haven't even grown fully um, and they're really kids. Um, so I, my self-image was very different from my reality, clearly. But uh, at the same time, I wouldn't take anything back. I had a great time. I was very fortunate to work um, very closely with some of the professors at Texas. Then I did my PhD at Carnegie Mellon. Um, so in many ways, it's everything that I wanted to do. Uh, and the atmosphere at CMU was fantastic for research. Um, got to spend time at Google and Facebook. So, you know, uh, can't complain. Startups have always been part of my life. Um, even when I was at Facebook, uh, it was the first hundred engineers of Facebook. So very early days. And uh, as Facebook was growing, I thought it was already too big at a few hundred people. And then I ended up going to a, uh, as a founding member of another AI startup um, called Bloomreach. When I joined, it was four of us, including the founders, and it grew to half a billion in valuation. Then founded a startup called Onera that got acquired, then founded Reggie. So startups have been all that I've done, actually. And any uh, little semblance of a larger company that I've gone to, I've pretty much ran away from it, too. <laughs> so... Um, in, in, interesting and uh, obviously, you know, uh, I'm interested to know about about Facebook. Uh, was you, you joined uh, so early? You know, you're there. Uh, I mean, before that, you 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 got into Google and you're there in 2006 and seven. This is super interesting. Were you, especially with Google? You know, were you working very closely with the founders um, and, and Sergi and Larry and and with Facebook? Uh, you know, what was the experience working with? Uh, the legendary Mark Zuckerberg, especially in those days, it was <laughs> uh, it was all about uh, about Mark Zuckerberg trying to trying to build something so so different. What what was the experience all about? 
Yeah, at Google, it was a little uh, too large already. So I did not uh, definitely work with uh, Sergey and Larry. They were in the same floor, oh. the same building. Um, but, you know, it was definitely, I I, I didn't know them. They didn't know me. Um, but, uh, but it was still a fantastic atmosphere to work in. And uh, you know, the amount of resources we had at Google to uh, work on was just mind blowing at the time. Um, and uh, you know, nothing else was even close uh, from just sheer compute power standpoint. And that was the biggest uh, thing that I could see in at, at Google. Um, you know, you could join as an intern and you can access, even at the time, at least tens of thousands of nodes, maybe even a hundred thousand nodes, and you could just use them for to do whatever you want. And I mean, for work, but still, um, I mean, no, nobody cared if you were using a hundred thousand, you know, compute units to do whatever you wanted to do. So right. it was pretty crazy uh, to think about it. Um, Facebook was diametrically opposite. Um, even when I left our largest um, Hadoop cluster was 60 machines. Um, and so it was the exact. <laughs> uh, there, you know, Zuck was very accessible. Um, and um, everybody, all the engineers were on one floor. Um, and he was just, you know, just a normal guy. So Friday evenings, he would go around asking people if they wanted to play video games, you know, he would just hang out in the office. Um, and if people wanted to grab dinners and so on. So, um, very easy to work with. It was chaotic. The company, the growth was unprecedented. It was like the first real vital growth of any kind. Yeah. Um, nobody had seen it before. And so the growth was astronomical and all the pressures that come from it were pretty immense. Um, mm. and the team was, nothing was prepared for it. Um, mm. And so it was chaotic, but also uh, exhilarating in some ways. Mm, got it. And any any specific learning you learned from Mark is is one of the you know standout entrepreneurs in the last I would say in the last two decades. Also very controversial, but yeah. but, but what what uh, what did, what was so special about Facebook? Was it about processes? Was it about creative thinking? Was it about the team? Uh, they you know how were they able to attract such a high quality team trying to solve a problem where they were not thinking about revenue for such a long time? Uh, obviously, we had Shell Sandberg coming later, but uh, but what was what do you think was the standout experience uh, working with Zuck? Yeah, so even uh, uh, Shell Sandberg, as an example, joined after me. So, uh, but so if you think about, you know, I try to view the world a little bit more balanced. Um, so, you know, Facebook, it was for everybody. They loved the platform, and Zuck could do no wrong. And now he's hated by everybody. Um, he's hated by ex-employees because like Chamath came out and said, you know, Facebook is like a virus or something along those lines. And, um, and obviously he was at Facebook for a long time. And so people jump ships left and right. And obviously he gets subpoenaed and uh, he has to go in front of Congress and testify. And uh, everybody's against him for different reasons. Okay. Um but I view it much more balanced in the sense that, you know, uh, he's very sharp. Uh, he had a pulse for knowing what people wanted. Um, I think the media portrayal of him being like a wicked 
great engineer is is uh, you know i don't agree with it at all uh, he wasn't known for his engineering skills to be completely honest yeah. um and but um and the code base was just awful like it was, i mean the software stack was just incredibly bad and all <laughs> of that so all of that the media portrays is off but the um, uh, he had definitely a pulse for what people wanted and i think he kept that going with instagram and whatsapp and so on so he clearly had a pulse and it's very hard to to get that um, in a you know in a founder so you really need to know your target audience somehow really well yeah. uh, and he really knew what people wanted even before people knew it was possible to have it um so if you actually look at facebook as compared to let's say other platforms facebook kept innovating you know it was the first one to introduce news feed in reality um at the time it was just profile pictures and you could just have profile views that's it it was the first to introduce news feed the concept of news feed really did not exist before facebook um first to introduce apis that opened up facebook uh, platform to everybody else um first to do things like facebook connect and the like button that used to be everywhere else um so it was a first in a lot of these innovations that most other companies didn't have to do and facebook had to keep innovating to bring these things and they were all good features when they when they launched so i think that's that's the key trade um, and it was all i think i would say predominantly because of one person mm got it looks like he was a bit of a product visionary right so uh and and you you spent a long time with onero you know um uh, and, and that's where i think you spent a large part of your career what 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 were you trying to build there and uh and what uh what what was your customer audience over there yeah so my background is in ai machine learning algorithms that sort of stuff interesting so um Onera was right up my alley in terms of what we wanted to do um even going back to my phd days so we worked with retailers to optimize their supply chain so we were working on some specific new problems so retailers if you go back 10 years for the first time in the us at least did buy online pick up in stores and buy online ship from stores so you can buy a product online and then you can have it delivered you can have it picked up um so you know or you can have it actually shipped directly uh, to you um and what this ended up doing is people started using stores as warehouses essentially you know warehouses were made for fulfillment stores were made for customers walking in and buying and now you're using a store as a warehouse to do fulfillment for the first time so that opened up a whole bunch of supply chain problems like for example where do you ship an item from like if i live in san francisco and i order something from macy's there are probably multiple macy's stores there's probably one closest to me in san francisco but there might be one that's 2 hours away in sacramento but the sacramento store may be running excess inventory uh, or they're getting a new shipment that's coming in or the price may not be the same the price in even target Uh, which is one of the biggest retail stores in the US is not the same it really depends on if there is a walmart nearby and so if there are different prices in different stores then you actually want to ship it from the store with the lowest price because 
you are taking a smaller hit on your top line revenue. Customer has paid whatever they are paying online, but you want to ship it from the store with the lowest cost. So, um, so how do you do that optimization in real time? So that's basically what we did. Um, so any online order that any of the large retailers took, so our customers included entire Hudson Bay banner, so Saks, Office, Hudson Bay, it included uh, Dick's Sporting Goods, Lululemon, Express. So any of these retailers, when they took an order online, um, we decided how that order was fulfilled. So which store fulfilled it, uh, and how to get that to the customer. So, and that optimization was run through Monero. Mm, super, super interesting. And, uh, uh, and you know, after that, and, you know, uh, around in the time of pandemic, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, that's when you built Reggie, you know, uh, but why did we want to, you know, solve the problem uh, of Reggie, you know, it's, uh, for, I, I understand it's for, you know, sending a personal prospecting sales campaigns, but also you're working with for for marketing campaigns. What what led you to build uh, Reggie? Yeah, so uh, in 2020, um, for the first time, AI went from uh, being able to sort of recognize content to being able to generate content. So if you go back 10 years, AI just started doing things like image recognition. It could do um, you know, YouTube famously came out with this uh, paper that could identify all the cats in YouTube videos. Um, and so we were just having computers do some of the human tasks like speech recognition. Um, you could talk to, you know, 10 years back, Siri was so bad, you couldn't really talk to Siri, right? But now my Google Home just works perfectly. So we were starting to do a lot of the uh, recognition tasks, um, image recognition, speech recognition, and so on. But we still hadn't done anything on the generative side. So two years back in 2020 is when the uh, generation part of AI matured. And uh, we had something called GPT-3 that came out that could, for the very first time, actually synthesize text. So can actually write text as an AI. And so once I saw that, I figured there must be some uh, enterprise applications for it. It's such a disruptive piece of technology that there should be um, ways in which you can use it. So that was the genesis um, for the company. Um, and so on the backs of that, um, basically, we raised a seed round. But um, it wasn't until my co-founder came along that we actually ended up building the use case to target sales and marketing. But so for me, the genesis was um, GPT-3 coming out and this entire field of generative AI coming out in 2020. That basically started the whole process. Today, I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash social pilot to get a 14-day free trial. Mm, got it. Interesting. And and how are you using, you know, NLP uh, for uh, in, in your content platform for, for sales and marketing? Yeah. So what you can do now is you can basically log into Reggie and basically say that um, I use outreach and I want to build a sales campaign, an email campaign in outreach 
um, from scratch. And what Reggie can do is it'll just ask you a series of questions. So for example, it'll ask you what kind of a campaign do you want to build? Do you want to do a nurture campaign, an outbound campaign, an inbound campaign? Is it a campaign for events? Are you inviting people for a conference? Um, is it about a webinar and so on? So it'll ask you some questions. Then it'll ask you to describe your company, um, any pain points you want to target, any value propositions that you offer, any social proof that you can provide. And once you enter all of that, it'll just go and build a multi-channel, multi-step uh, email campaign. So 10 emails in a sequence with LinkedIn touches, with call scripts, all built simultaneously, um, all talking about this pain point and value proposition in a very uh, coherent manner. So um, Reggie does all of that for you. And then on top of that, you can share that campaign with other people so that they can comment and review it and approve it. We also provide an analysis on the right side for best practices, making sure subject lines and message lengths are in line. It doesn't have any spam words. Uh, it has good readability score. It's not too long, it's not too short, uh, and many more uh, such statistics. So Reggie um, sort of helps you streamline that entire campaign building process um, all with AI. Mm, got it, interesting. And, um... And how, you know, uh, obviously I've been into, you know, business development and, and sales, but how's email sequencing different for marketing and, and sales teams? Uh, to, uh, does does the marketing team need a different, you know, uh, sales campaign with different touch points? Uh, where, uh, whereas, you know, do you think they need more number of touch points, more number of follow-up emails is, is, is how you're differentiating? Or are you looking at, at a different customer set, or do you have multi, I'm sorry, do you have multiple customers that you're trying to target uh, with, you know, reaching out to sales, marketing, and account management? Yeah, so good question. So what are the differences between sales and marketing campaigns? So at a very high level, the objective of a marketing campaign is to get some hand raisers. So it is basically, a marketing campaign is typically not something that asks for a call to action. A marketing campaign is not something that's going to say, hey, um, do you have 15 minutes to talk about Reggie? Instead, a marketing campaign would be something that says, here are the best practices that Reggie has found to generate uh, better reply rates in emails. That's it. You know, that's that's the entire email. So it doesn't talk about why you should use Reggie, what pains you have in terms of using Reggie, uh, try to find some meeting times. Are you even the exact right person to use Reggie? It doesn't matter. A marketing campaign is just meant to educate people, to present interesting ideas, um, and make people aware of the company. So it's mostly awareness is the main driver. Uh, and when it comes to sales campaigns, the idea is uh, much more limited. So it's much fewer people, much closer to one-on-one -on -one conversations, much closer to personalized uh, emails. And then you will obviously ask for a time to meet to discuss it. So what tends to happen is marketing is top of the funnel um, in creating awareness. And somebody may become hand raisers from marketing. Then they get into the sales funnel, uh, which is more downstream. And then once they're in the sales funnel, then you are like, hey, you know, what do you do? Here's what we do. Uh, what are the pains that you have? Here is how we solve those pains. Is that a good time to meet? So... That's how. That's the largest difference. So some other differences, marketing, just for that reason, you, your 
set of uh, lists of people will be much, much larger than the sales list of people. Uh, you know, 50 people a day that you reach out to is a lot in, in sales, but it's nothing in marketing. Marketing emails tends to have a little bit more HTML image um, rich, whereas sales emails um, tend to be just text because it's just one-on-one -on -one format. Um, so those are some of the differences between marketing and sales emails. Got mm, it. Interesting. And actually, the flip side is true, which is marketing emails tend to have smaller uh, sequence length than sales emails. So marketing, because it's it's mainly things like here is a blog post that we wrote, here is a report that we published, and so on. Um, whereas sales emails is much more like, hey, do you have this problem? Here is a proof that we can solve this problem. Here's why you should use us to solve this problem. So that sequence structure is maintained in a sales email. Whereas in a marketing email, it doesn't matter so much. It's just like, hey, here's a report that you may be interested in. Um, Got it. And, and, and obviously, you know, I'm going to ask about the, 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 the sales part of it. Uh, what, what do you think is the ideal uh, number of follow-ups uh, that, you know, a sales guy should do? Uh, you know, if I'm, I want to reach out a cold outreach, what should be the number of follow-ups? Is it 7, 15, 4? Uh, you know, what, what would be the ideal? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and so we have all of these touch patterns built into Reggie. Right. Uh, and a lot of these depend on uh, the use case. So for example, uh, let's say you do a general cold outbound. Our standard general cold outbound is 15 steps over 30 days. So it's a month long and you are doing 15 steps. Not all the 15 steps are uh, emails. Um, emails in this case are three, four, five, six, seven emails, um, and the rest are either calls or LinkedIn. Now that's a, I would say a standard cold outbound cadence. Now that has some problems though. Mainly the problem is what if you don't have capacity to do calls or personalized follow-ups or LinkedIn touches and so on. So then you don't want to be on this because then you, know, you just don't have the capacity to execute on this campaign. So then what you can do is you can do something that's much more automated. So a fully automated email-only campaign for us will be a standard of two weeks over six emails, just emails, nothing else in there. And everything is automated. So there is nothing personalized in there, uh, nothing that will stop the execution of the campaign. So that gives you some flavor. Um, and this is just cold outbound. Um, so... In one case, it's 30 days, 15 steps, includes calls and LinkedIn and multiple channels to communicate. And the other is just two weeks, six steps, six emails. Um, and more importantly, or equally importantly, the emails have to follow a certain logical pattern. So for example, in the automated case, first email will be an introduction email that introduces the company. Second email is just a bump email. It's just a follow-up. Hey, did you see this email? Um, did you have a chance to look at it? Um, then you can send a referral email. If you're not the right person, can you point me in the right direction? And then you stop that, restart, new subject line, new email thread, um, do another introduction email. Then you can do like a multiple choice email. Hey, can you just tell me here are the three possibilities, which one am I um, closest to? And then you can send like a breakup email that says, okay, I understand this is not the right time. Um, sorry for bothering you. 
if things change, then please let us know. So it has to follow some logical sequence. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. Got it. And um, I, I think, you know, all sales guys should uh, should have that hustle mentality. And, you know, when it comes to the target, they, uh, they should take it like a personal responsibility. But, but they also need to, uh, you know, be very personalized in their approach when they're trying to do the outreach. And that's something I do struggle with. What advice would you give to me on how do I personalize my email sequences so that I get a much better response? Yeah, it's a great question. So first of all, <clears throat> it's good to just avoid general email sequences. So for example, just don't say, here is what the entire company does. And um, if you have time, let us connect. Because that's the worst of the lot, without a doubt. You can do significantly better by structuring it in the following way, which doesn't go all the way to personalized campaigns. It gives you some sort of sanity, but it also gets you a lot of leverage because you can do this as a single person and still get away with it. So, And that is to define your personas you're targeting. And for each persona you're targeting, what is the pain point that they have and what's the value proposition that you provide? So create a matrix that basically says, I want to target these five different personas. So for example, this could be, I want to target CIOs in healthcare. I want to target um, CISOs, like chief information security officers in SaaS companies. I want to target VP of engineering in retail. I want it, and so on. So you come up with the list of five personas that you want to target. Now, for each one of those personas, then you come up with the list of pain points that they have. So for example, if you're talking to a chief information security officer in a cloud company, maybe they're interested in SOC 2, maybe they're interested in GDPR. You know, if you're talking to somebody in healthcare, maybe they're interested in HIPAA. And so, and maybe you're selling a security software. That's what I'm assuming at this point. But uh, then you come up with the value proposition that basically says, look, if you have HIPAA compliance issues, please note that we actually can solve this problem in the following manner. And so you come up with that matrix that says, here's the personas I want to target. Here are the pain points that they have. And here are the value propositions that, it, that I offer. So now you have five different sequences as opposed to one sequence. That goes a long, long way. So that's the first simple step that you can do, which is talk to them, the problems that they have and the solutions that you offer for the problems they have. So that's the simplest step, goes a long way already. Then uh, the next from there is the first email that you send out. You can convert that into a manual email. And when you are actually sending that email out, you can personalize it to them. So like they just switched jobs. They actually are have been doing information security forever. They're new to information security, whatever that case might be. Um, they've had a client before, or they were in a company that was a client before. They are working in a company that is currently a client, but they are not a client. Whatever that case might, may be, um, you may want to establish that. So you can change the first email as a manual email. Uh, so that's the next step. Then all the way you can go is account-based marketing, which is instead of doing one email, so you send a thousand emails, one email sequence per account. Um, and that's, of course, much more intense. 
But so those are sort of the logical ways to split it. Even if you just go from generic to just persona based, I think you will already get a lot of leverage. Mm, got interesting. And and you you mentioned about you know getting to understand the 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 persona and understand if you know uh, if they have switched jobs and you know what's been the activity on LinkedIn. Does Reggie provide all that information and does it connect to say Twitter and LinkedIn and we can get the updates and and then okay. That's possible. Okay, right. So, for example, when we do so, we do two things. So, one is we help you create the matrix that I was talking about, so personas, value props, pain points, and be able to create a campaign that's catering to exactly that persona for that pain point for that value proposition. So, it'll create you a bunch of sequences. What you can then do is set the first email on the first sequence to a manual email. And when the time comes to send that email out, Reggie will pull all the relevant information automatically for this specific person. So their work history, um, <clears throat> we actually pull out their disk profile. Uh, we will have a do's and don'ts on how to talk to them. Um, we'll have information about their company, their company's funding, whether they're opening any new jobs, um, uh, what the technographic information is. So all of that is pulled directly into it. Their recent tweets, their recent LinkedIn posts, news about the company. So all of that is pulled in directly. And Reggie can actually even write a personalized snippet for you. So um, at least to get you started. So um, so Reggie does both the sequencing side, but the personalization side as well. Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions, and making your days calmer and more productive, you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Got it, interesting. And, um, <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm always interested to, to understand that, you know, especially in, uh, in, in, a, in an early stage startup, like before you had raised your series A, uh, who would you prefer to hire more senior experienced people or, or younger hustlers with more energy? Yeah, so Facebook was um, completely built off of, um, you know, uh, inexperienced team to say the least. Right. Uh, very high energy, um, people really bonded, um, high drama, but, um, you know, high energy and got lots of, things done badly, but lot get, got a lot of things done. Uh, and that is something to that for sure. Um, I, I also think it's also funny that as you grow up, I feel like you always think that the right people to hire are exactly your seniority. I still yeah. distinctly remember that when I was at Bloomreach, I thought anyone with more than 10 years of experience is way past their prime and yeah. I would never work with someone and then here and I am like, I don't know, 20 years out of school thinking uh -huh. that 20 years is exactly the right amount of experience and no lesser, no greater. Uh, but at least I'm conscious to know that uh, that that's clearly a bias. Um, I think both are true. So I think absolutely both are true, which is we at Reggie have lots of people straight out of school. This is their first job. Um, and they work incredibly well. We also have people who are vastly more experienced than me, like my co-founder, um, who is also incredibly good. So I really think it depends. Uh, I think both are perfectly fine uh, options. 
and um, and you should absolutely feel uh, the need to promote from within. Um, but if the right person is comes from outside, that's totally fine as well. So I think both I'm sort of pro both as long as they're great people. Um, got it, got it, interesting. And uh, especially, you know, I, I, I wanted to understand um, how, how, what, what are the, some, some of the core character uh, traits that you look for when you're looking to hire your first product leader? Obviously, as a, as a you know, as a CEO, you uh, you can never be away from product. But but when do you think about you know hiring a product guy, and can the CEO move away from the product and give it to a, a, a you know a product leader? <laughs> it's a good question. Uh, we are actually looking for a head of product right now, so huh. I definitely um, I can definitely tell you a little bit about about what we are looking for, yeah. and um, if that even makes sense or not. Um, so. I think CEOs come in different flavors um, and just like anybody else. So, you know, uh, at the end of the day, I'm an engineer at heart and at in reality. Um, at the end of the day, Matt's um, strength is in sales. Um, and so, you know, no matter what you are, you end up not being a perfect generalist, I think. And you end up being biased towards one side or another side. So if your CEO is someone who is like very product focused, then that asks the question, do you need another product person? Um, my question, if I am the CEO, which I am, is the question of do I need an engineering leader or not? And I absolutely think we need an engineering leader as well. But um, but I, what it what I think it gives you is you can delay that a little bit longer than otherwise. And it's probably a good idea to delay it a little bit longer. So if you're running, if you come from a sales background, you can delay the head of sales hire longer. If you come from an engineering background, you can delay the head of engineering for a little bit longer. If you come from a product background, you can delay the product hire for a little bit longer. And who the product person is also depends on what you are looking for. So in Reggie, we're not looking for like a project manager. Because engineering management is very easy for us. The engineers do a great job. And like I said, my background is anyway in a little bit engineering, so quite a bit engineering. So that is not a hard issue. It's not a question of maintaining timelines and product features and putting it on Asana or something along those lines. For us, the product hire needs to be someone who can look at the landscape, look at the products that have done well, look at the products that have not done well, talk to customers, figure out if uh, the roadmap that we have is catering to their needs, should we change things in one way or another? So it's much more strategic, much more roadmap focused than day-to-day -day execution focused. Um, and obviously I will help with that, Matt will help with that. But you know, if there's one person who needs to make those trade-offs on which direction to go, why we should go that direction, that would be the head of product. So I think, and as the CEO, the problem is I get stretched very thin, very quickly. Um, for example, doing finance because we don't have a head of finance right now um, and engineering because we don't have a head of engineering right now. And so there's just a lot of, and talking to investors and, and so on. So there's just lots of things you get stretched thin on and you don't want to lose focus on product. And so it doesn't become a part-time job. Yeah. Um, 
So I think I think that's why it's important. Got it. And uh, and obviously, you know, uh, I, I'm on the revenue side. So I, I was wondering, you know, when, when do you think you should uh, hire uh, the, the head of sales enablement or somebody on like like the head of revenue or the CRO uh, for for a company? When do you get to decide that you know uh, the you know you're right for the revenue uh, to get a head of revenue uh, on board? Yeah, that's also a good question. And to a certain extent, the answer is related to my previous answer. So if you look at Onera, my previous startup, uh, my co-founder did a lot of the um, selling uh, and we didn't hire a head of sales for a long time. If you look at Bloomreach, um, one of the co-founders did a lot of selling, but we actually did hire a salesperson fairly quickly. Um, I think... It's good to hire sooner than later than most people advise, is my two cents. Um, it doesn't have to be ahead of sales, but I do think it's helpful to hire someone sooner than later. But it needs to be someone who can thrive in uncertainty rather than someone who needs the sales process down. And the reason I think it was helpful in the case of Reggie and helpful in the case of Bloomreach is that there is a constant pipeline of customers that you can experiment with. Um, because otherwise, one of a few different things can happen. One is you may just have one, two, three customers, and you're building something that doesn't make sense for customers at large, and you actually don't get that feedback quickly enough. Uh, the other is you may just you know, have... Um, a bias towards solving the problem in a way that's not scalable. Um, so having a stream of customers always pushes you to think more broadly uh, and keeps you innovating in the right direction. But it has to be someone who can say that, oh shit, that didn't work. Oh crap, this is not the ICP. Okay, we clearly got the pricing wrong. You know, that's there has to be some flexibility there and they shouldn't panic because one quarter pricing is enterprise, the next quarter pricing is SMB, then the next quarter we say, okay, we abandon both and we're going to start with ProServe, you know, or it has to be something that's more flexible. But I do think it's helpful to have uh, someone earlier than most other people advise. Oh, interesting. And, um, you know, I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book or any uh, fiction books? Um, so um, I'll give you a little bit something that's out of the ordinary. So I've read like zero to one right. um, and and so on. Um, so I'm sure there's lots of people who would give you lots of those books. Um, so let me give you something that is very much out of the ordinary. It's a very little known book, um, but made an impression on me. Um, and it's very uh, you know geeky, but it's it has something for everybody. Uh, it's called Combinatorial Problems and Exercises. <laughs> and it's by a uh, European mathematician. And the nice thing about the book is um, the problems are all numbered in such a manner that um, it would make sense if you're completely new um, and you don't know, you don't even have a math background or a computer science background. And it would also make sense if you are a professor of um, combinatorics. So uh, it's very nicely done where 
um, no matter who it's meant for, it's a book that you can pick up and and read. Very little known book, um, but the name of the book is Combinatorial Problems and Exercises. I'm sure it's on Amazon. Uh, it's a very old book. Um, but uh, anyway, that's a little bit out of the ordinary. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I like an order of the ordinary. I think different from Sapiens or say zero to one. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes. Um, and, you know, if you could go back in time when you started, Reggie, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? Yeah. Um, so, first of all, every, uh, you know, this is not my first startup, and I have yeah. been in startups all my life. True. And even then, I learn a lot. Um, so just when you thought you had learned everything, you realize it's just you haven't learned anything at all. There's so much more to do, so much more to learn. Uh, every time you start afresh, it's a daunting journey and nothing is easy. Um, this time for me, for Reggie, I mean, one of the greatest things to have happened is me meeting my co-founder, Matt, because for whatever reason, I mean, you would think looking at my background that I should be, you know, somebody who's full of confidence and, uh, you know, he did his PhD from Carnegie Mellon, worked at Google, Facebook, like, what is this guy talking about? And it was successful. Um, but it's not at all true. Like, you know, I had so much and not my first startup, my previous startup got acquired and had done well financially, all this stuff, but uh, so much self-doubt unclear what the product is doing, what, what the traction is going to be, how I'm going to raise money. And uh, so this time, I think the good thing is I met my co-founder. And so I think if what I could have done differently could have been that I could have tried to find one sooner than I did. Um, and initially, I thought I would just do the startup this time by myself. Um and I think that was clearly a wrong idea. Um, and now it feels like next time I could do it by myself, but that's probably a wrong idea too. So I'm very glad to have found Matt. I wish I had found uh, a Matt earlier than I did. So I think wait for the right person. Um, it, it makes a huge difference to be working with somebody else. Mm, interesting. It's like a marriage because... Uh, you know, you, you're there with that person for such a long time. It's like a decade-old uh, relationship. That's and, right. And what's your favorite online tools? For example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom, anything, anything other than Reggie? <laughs> <laughs> Reggie is a, is a favorite tool. So the other thing I can think of is, um, um, you know, this is also a little bit biased, but I, I mean, I'm blown away with um, everything in the generative AI space. So if you haven't played around with it, um, look at uh, GPT-3 and OpenAI specifically, and the tools that have come out of it, including Whisper and um, and DALI. Um, and it is just mind-blowing uh, what uh, we can do now. So I play with it every day, um, and uh, it's it's going to change the world. Super interesting. I will put that in the show notes. And, um... Uh, 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 and Shinath, what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about Reggie? Um, yeah, so I'm happy to put a link. Um, I give you give you a link. You can add, add it to your uh, notes, okay. uh, and you can go try out the product. Uh, we can add a. I will send you a um, referral link that anybody can use. 
You can also generate your own referral link if you want. We can offer 20% discount for anybody who gets into a paid um, um, customer. Um, we also send gift cards out uh, on Amazon for $50 for people um, using the product. So um, feel free to sign up. Uh, hopefully it's a lot of fun and you use it for that reason. And it's actually very useful. But um, we do have a little referral program that happy to get everybody uh, involved in. Yeah, no, thank, thank you so much, Shinat. We'll, we'll uh, share the referral link so that you know, our listeners could, uh, could use the product uh, and uh, you know, could be get better in you know, sending out the email sequences. Uh, uh, thank you so much for, for taking our time and speaking to us, Shinat. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Of course. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com. <laughs>